and you're listening to the Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Yeah. Blink twice and I'm here now, I'm running from my problems But I hope it's the right path Too many rappers acting now, I wanna be typecast From sitting in sight class to gripping that mic fast I was sipping that crown straight Cause I wanna be like dad, wanna be like Grams I wanna be like mom, but I wanna be like Jay And I wanna be like Nas Wanna be a version of all the people that passed on And write lyrics so that the spirit can latch on Yeah, what would you live for? What would you die for? What would you let a tear come up out of your eye for? Growing up with pine trees made me think of a pine box I wanna die and revive just for an you know that I'm repping that bull city alone. And hey everyone, it's Thursday, September the 8th, 2016. You're listening to episode 84 of the Collabcast. How's it going? I'm Marvin Yue. I am Minji Chang. And we are your hosts for this weekly look at pop culture and Asian America things. Things and stuff. Things and stuff. The important things in our life to talk about, such as cargo shorts and such. If you bring um, that up one more time... I quit. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> this week, we're coming at you from three ways. It's a three-way podcast. I'm coming at you live from our collaboration offices in downtown Los Angeles. Minji is in her fine bohemian dwellings in Brooklyn. New York. And joining us mm-hmm. from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, we have Mr. Alton Wang. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Hi, Alton. Alton is the Communications and Development Associate at APIA Vote, a nonprofit bipartisan organization trying to get out, trying to mobilize the Asian American electorate to make a big impact this coming election season, and all election seasons, actually. He is doing a lot of great work. He helped set up the Asian American uh, Presidential Town Hall, or the, um, you had a different name for it, right? The Call it the Election Forum election forum that that I actually got to go to um, a couple weeks ago, um, got to listen to all the presidential campaigns talk, and um, he's also fresh out of school, doing great things. Which is surprising. We don't say that. We don't say that. (laughs) We don't need to point that. Well, the thing, I always always comment on Alton because he's one of my heroes, and the the level of work that he does is mind-boggling. So I always, I always sidestep mentions of Asia because it just blows my mind. (laughs) <laughs> this kid is not, I don't call him kid, but like this guy is so amazing. I'm still a kid. I'm still a kid at heart forever. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, don't make me become a grown up so fast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to have you. It's, it's been, you know, we, we don't talk much about politics on this, um, on this podcast. So, but we do talk about the importance of voting and, you know, we've been involved in, a lot of different initiatives to see here, especially to get out the votes. And um, on that note, today, um, 18 Million Rising, in, in partnership with Collaboration and Tractivist and a lot of other orgs, just released a album to get out the vote in the Asian American community featuring Asian American artists called um, Voices of Our Vote. So well, technically, that that's out. two days ago because we are on Thursday right now. And that was two days ago. But yes, the day of our recording. I like how you're better at keeping this <laughs> facade I'm of future time than I am. I'm, doing, I'm, being, I'm being a good <laughs> partner. Um, but yeah, I, def- I think we're going to be talking more about that in our future topic um, later on. But I wanted to point out something really cool because I feel super honored today because this is Alton's first podcast ever. Yeah. Really? It's going to be fun. But you've done radio interviews, right? You've done... You've- You've done this radio thing before. I, I've Legit done, I real done life interviews, right? <laughs> radio radio is new. I've done TV, but that's that's a little bit different. Um, radio, mm-hmm. this is the first time. Wow, welcome. 
You have a lovely radio voice, so you should do more. That's Ooh, what I was saying. Down. I was like, Alton would be a, 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 a natural, and I know this is going to go great. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, let's put that radio voice through the paces. Let's start off our podcast. Each and every week, we'd like to start with a roundtable discussion talking about the pop culture topics that's on our minds. So uh, this week, uh, let's just start with Minji, because I want to know. I want to know your New York update. Have you become cynical and jaded yet? Are you mean now? Kind of. <laughs> Actually, well, I had a I had another topic that came up in the last uh, 24 hours since we discussed this, but um, yeah, New York is great. It's it's really different. It's expensive. So it's reminding me of my San Francisco life. Um, people are, like they kind of pride themselves on not being soft. Like they just <laughs> refer to Californians as you know. And this is not my first time in New York, but you know, I've only I've been here six days, and it's it's sinking in. I don't know. It's like I'm living in Brooklyn and it's gentrified for sure, but it's definitely still like very urban, rougher part of Brooklyn getting out into Queens. Um, yeah. It reminds you of like the glory days of the mission, right? Like when it was still dirty and kind of like just becoming hipster. I, I don't know how to feel about any of this. I'm still absorbing all of it. There's just a lot of skinny people wearing like thrift clothes. <laughs> And specifically glasses. skinny people specifically skinny. everyone's really skinny here but i think it's all the walking <laughs> i think it's all the walking which is funny i mean that there's so much food and and so much alcohol everywhere i don't know so speaking of skinny i tried on skinny jeans for the first time this weekend and i don't know how people do it did christine like, succeed did you go shopping uh, no comment um but it's, That's a yes. it's terrible <laughs> i win in uh, on the side <laughs> how do like are, what happened to baggy pants, man? What happened They're to They're not stylish, everywhere? Marv. Give in to it. So, Alton, if you, I don't know if you've been listening to our previous episodes of our podcast, but I've been bugging Marvin to go shopping for a long time, but it took him, uh, obviously, getting a girlfriend for that to happen. There we um, go. That's a good instigator. I know, right? Um, and I will support Christine, and I will help her however I need to help her in this mission. Now I want to see a picture of you, Marvin, in um, skinny, skinny pants. Well, we didn't end up with skinny pants. I ended up with the slim fit, which is the, um, the straight fit up top and then the slim fit down below. Because okay. we want to take it, take it slow because we don't want to go <laughs> Compromise. too crazy right off the bat. <laughs> also, I mean, I think I have just really fat calves, so it's just it's really tight down there. I know that. But uh, I don't know how we're talking about me. Let's talk about New York again. You brought um, it up. <laughs> how is um, learning to walk without looking both ways? <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't know if this is the best like table topic <laughs> conversation. It's just I don't know. I'm in a particularly I miss LA mood, right? Or I miss California mood right now. Mm. I miss driving. Um, I miss grocery shopping in like bulk. Um, well, here's the thing with like going to the East Coast is because this is something that I've um, experienced myself is that you know when you visit the East Coast, you can say, oh, that's interesting. Everyone here is a jerk. But when you're living there, it's like um, when I was in China for like a month, you start to really notice and be really bothered by how, like, not even how different it is, but how like actually nice people in California actually are compared <laughs> to people from around the other parts of the nation. I don't know. I'll say I've been on the East Coast for, I think, five years now. And every time <laughs> I go home to L.A., I am always so shocked by how nice people are. And I feel like I feel so sad that I'm so used to it here on the East Coast already. Yeah. I don't know if it's me. I've been actually been getting a lot like they're just not as overtly friendly, but they're not straight up mean that I've seen. 
the very direct and blunt, um, which I kind of appreciate. But again, who knows how long that will last. But I've, I've talked to really, really nice people. Um, we had a barbecue for Labor Day, and my roommates that I'm airbnb with, they, like, invite all their friends and their friends' friends. So I think there's a lot of socializing going on. Everyone's very open, and, um, again, they're not shy, and I really appreciate that. And sometimes, well, just from our friends, like, people can stick to only the people that they know. But here, everyone's, like, really open to talk to a random stranger, which is yeah. ironically different than what I had expected. But... Um, what's the crowd out there in Brooklyn like? Because um, when I'm in New York, I usually hang out with my B school classmates who are all I bankers and people like that. So I am um, living. I, with I imagine it's a different crowd. So I'm, I'm around. <laughs> I, yesterday was a bunch of actors and uh, not all actors, but like people doing like grad school and things like that. So it was a very mixed crowd, but definitely very, 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 very hipster, very hipster nice. artsy, like libertines i don't know what what's the word stir oh i want to i don't want to generalize it to that this is super boring so i apologize like i'm just i miss california very like i don't know yeah did you um is are your ads still up at the at the so that's what i might go look at today um i don't know if they're still up my friends have asked me if i've gone to see them so i'm guessing that means that they are and i'm nice I think it's going to be funny to see myself on a bill. For listeners listening for the first time, Minji is featured in a series of ads down in one of the Brooklyn subway stops. The most um, popular one, apparently, right? I guess it's a very, yeah, it's a pretty yeah. popular stop. So uh, make sure you take a selfie. I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for the selfie of Minji with Minji. Yes. It's going to be. In my perfect. underwear. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's cool. Awesome. I'm sorry. I'm not more interesting with that right now, but uh, no, I, I appreciate it. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna get a little bit more rough around the edges, which I think I could use. Um, not be so soft. Apparently, I'll still be nice, but like, be more of a hard ass. I don't know. I don't know what I'm. I'm seeking to achieve, but we'll see how I change in the weeks going. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you're getting out in time to avoid the winter. Oh yeah. No, it's perfect yeah. right now. It's like fall weather. That's what. That was part of my plan. And actually, I'm coming at, like, the perfect time for my interest, I guess, because it's Broadway week right now. <laughs> so it's two-for-one tickets to Broadway shows. Um, I don't know. It's perfect weather. I think New York Fashion Week is this month as well. So it's going to be you a getting in that? Uh, you getting in that Hamilton lottery? Getting that? Um, passed by the theater. Almost had a meltdown. I was like, I just want to be inside the theater. <laughs> we'll see. Only a thousand bucks for tickets. Oh yeah, so, it's half you know. off. Or like, no, the the half off the discount prices were like seven hundred eighty dollars. Oh the- my god. <laughs> yeah. So you know. It's insane. <laughs> the LA prices are already up there too. It's it's insane. Dear god. It's not even the original cast. Uh, anyways, looking forward to more of your New York updates. Hopefully, it doesn't destroy you before you come back. I'm looking forward. I won't <laughs> but- let it. Uh, but speaking of Broadway, that brings me to my topic. So um, I went to go watch a stage play this weekend. Um, it was Artists at Play's uh, rendition of, world premiere production of um, The Two Kids That Blow Shit Up, a play by Carla Ching, who's also known for writing on Fear the Walking Dead. Um, it stars um, our friend Julia Cho, who's um, one of the founders of Artists at Play, which is a collective in Los Angeles that specializes in contemporary Asian American stage plays. So uh, I actually have a piece up on collaboration.org on Julia. So if you guys want to check that out um, and check out my writing, 
go to club.org. But it was a lot of fun just to be, it was my first time seeing a play in a black box theater. So it's like a small, intimate space, but still really cool how they did the stage, how they did the transitions. And just, there's something about live theater that really is different than than watching a movie or watching something on TV. For and sure. I think it's kind of similar to why I like you know, podcasts, uh, because especially ones that are done live or panel-focused, because sometimes there's some live production, you know, like, for lack of a better word, jank to it. And I think that actually just adds to the experience. You know, it makes you feel like you're there, like, experiencing it. it this is a unique thing that you're seeing this time that, that won't be the same next time, right? Alton, do you have a, do you have a theater scene at all in D.C.? Is that, like, part? I remember when I hung out with you last week that it was, like, I'm done with work and now I'm going to go watch Netflix. There might be, but honestly, <laughs> I, I, I am not as plugged into it as you guys might even be. Um, so I can probably answer that better than... Yeah, you um, could probably. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are a bunch of smaller... Like, there's a bunch of amphitheaters and there's a bunch of smaller theaters all around. Like, there's a big Shakespeare theater. Oh, in yeah, downtown, yeah, there is. Um, downtown D.C. Um, there's a couple Black Box theaters nearby. There's a lot of community productions. Um, there's um, the, the Jewish Community Center did a rendition, did a production of Yellowface while I was there once, the David Henry Wang's Yellowface. But um, I feel like, Marv, you're very plugged into the Asian-American scene in general, which is why, obviously, you're such a key part of collaboration. But I kind of feel like for the general public, no one really pays attention to that. Oh, no, I'm saying, like, there's there's the Shakespeare Theater, there's, you know, there's the Spectrum Theater, there's a lot of community and repertory theaters around D.C., mm-hmm. um, especially in D.C. because people are always looking for places to hold fundraisers. Gotcha. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a theater scene. Um, I don't know if it's as big as in L.A. where, you know, all the actors are. Well, that's the thing. Even in L.A., coming from an actor perspective, nobody considers L.A. the theater scene. That's New York. And I was actually talking to so somebody about that LA, where they become really big snobs about it because not <laughs> snobs. But, yeah, well, some one of them was complaining. He's like, it, it annoys me that um, that New York will they kind of revere theater so much and kind of. Some of them, I can't generalize to all, but they're people who like look down upon like film and TV as like the lesser than, which is funny to me. I guess. I mean, definitely in Hollywood, film and TV are king. But I mean, even so, the play I went to was at the Lounge Theater in Sunset. And if you walk up and down Sunset, like that place is like littered with theaters, like just small, like not even like just small, like black box theaters where people are putting on productions all the time so it's definitely not like known for i think it's just i think the thing with la too is there's so many things going on entertainment wise that like you know you kind of get stuck you you, it's really easy to get stuck in your own bubble right and not see what's around but there's stuff going on all the time no so i actually got to have uh, carla was somebody that we were we are potentially bringing in for our empower conference coming up in november which I'm sure I've been part of the updates for uh, for collaboration updates, but she's she's incredibly funny, and um, I I only spoke to her for like five ten minutes, and she was such a charming person. So I'm really I wish I, I was there to watch this play. Um, oh yeah, it's it was actually the last Sunday was the last day of their run. Um, they had to cut their uh, run short at the theater um, mainly because one of the actors uh, got a part in a movie. Oh shit. <laughs> So um, you know, it's LA. We got to do, but yeah, it's a it's a great it's it's um 
so I used to do drama in high school as well, one of my many things I did in high school. So I've always had appreciation of staged plays, but just um, seeing how, like, how intricate some of these sets can get and just how much work goes into it. It's, it's always amazing. I always, you know, I always forget about it and I go back. Um, I went to go watch Shakespeare in the park when the, um, during the summer too. And, you know, it's always cool to see Shakespeare done well. Uh, because it's really different than when you read it in high school and everyone's like trying to pretend to be, you know. Well, that's because nobody am, understands yeah. what they're saying. It's a different language. So I think it's a little bit hard to yeah. pull that off when you're like 14, 15. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm saying is theater is great. You guys should go see more of it. And there's a lot of really cool Asian American theater coming up too. So um, we'll hopefully we'll be covering some Alton, of that. Alton, you should, while you are in D.C., because I don't know how long you'll be there, but you should go check out the stuff that Marvin was mentioning before you. Um, yeah, I am going to ask Marvin for a list after this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, that's a perfect segue to Alton's topic, which also has to do with the theater. Yo, when you guys have said that I had to find something that was pop culture related, I was just like, my mind has been in politics for so long. What in the world could I talk about? And then I remember seeing yep. on Facebook that um, this casting notice from Beach Blanket Babylon, um, which is a long-running um, musical review up in the Bay Area, um, that had a recent casting notice that said, and I quote, Historically, we have used performers whose facial features make them appear conventionally Caucasian. So if you fit this description, please send us your information. If you don't, your amazing voice and stage presence could change our minds. So please send us your information. End quote. So I feel like Minji probably would have a lot more experience with this type of subtle, subtle racism. But it just really <laughs> reminded me of just like, I think our world and us being Asian Americans in general, or even people of color more broadly of having to, you know, work harder and like do more just to reach those same levels that, you know, conventionally Caucasian people um, don't have to, you know, do, which is just shocking. Yeah, I definitely saw that and I had a I had a good laugh and a big eye roll and I don't know, it was, just, it was an extra sting because it's coming from the Bay too and I was like, really guys? But um, I don't know, there's nothing new. There's so many, in th I feel like there's so many different ways that people are going about specifying race without having to say race because um, there's different parameters that you'll see in a casting call, whether it's uh, this role is for Peggy, and Peggy is blonde, and Peggy, and like, I was like, well, Asians dye their hair, could I, <laughs> like, <laughs> just dye like, your hair and show up, <laughs> yeah, but there's like, you know, she's blonde, or this girl is a brunette, and I was like, okay, brunette, but by brunette, that, it still subtly implies, like, a white person brunette, right, like, you don't yeah. call a Latina with brown hair a brunette, you call her Latina, right, and, I mean, I have dark brown hair, so technically, I'm, <laughs> am I a brunette, like, I don't know, but you, it's just when you read these descriptions, it, they just, even if they don't say Caucasian, and some of them will specify Caucasian female or male, um, there's other signifiers that kind of, I guess, rule you out in a yeah. way. So, and I don't know, part of me, like, in a weird way, appreciated that they were upfront about it. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but... So yeah, I'm I'm of two. So I have two things to say about this. Number one is, you know, in this new world of Hamilton being super successful and showing that you can have diverse casts and be successful, um, you know, there's this whole push for, um, and this is something I talked about with Julia in, in the piece that I wrote. But you know, um, there's this push for theater to become more diverse because theater is kind of stage theater, especially is 
falling behind movies and film in terms of opportunities for diversity while also where the most opportunities for actors are because there's always going to be plays, you know, um, there's more plays than, you know, film and TV stuff going on. Um, and, I don't know, you know about all over the nation. Is that is that a fact? Like there's more plays than... Well, I mean, like, you know, there's there's repertory theaters in every single, like, major city in America, right? Whereas there's a film and TV industry in maybe a couple of cities. True. Right? So... Just in terms of just opportunities for people to grow and develop, um, theater is, you know, where a lot of opportunities are. So, you know, there's just this case to be made that theater should also catch up in terms of diversity, which is great. Musicals like Hamilton and musicals like Allegiance and even um, organizations like Artists at Play are working to change perspectives. So it's I think it's good that uh, people running this theater have the idea of diversity in their minds. My second thought is this is a perfect example of when, like, sometimes when people try not to be racist and they come off as extra racist. Oh, exactly. Uh, because they call it into focus what they're trying to do. Well, yeah. Right? This is like, well, we're going to make this open, but just to let you know, this is typically a white role. So, exactly. you know, I guess. I mean, you or maybe they're like, that's a, like, it's, it's a lame, like, self applauding thing of, like, well, look at us. We're trying to be open minded and. Or I'm sure they high five themselves when they wrote this. Like, yeah, percent better than the other white, you know, actors that we would normally consider. So if you're extra good, I mean, but that's like how I feel in general in life anyway. Not that they needed to point that out, but that's, I mean, my personal perspective is like I want to kick ass no matter what. I don't, I don't necessarily. I try not to put any pressure on myself that I have to be better than a white actor. But I definitely hold high standards of, like, I have to be my A-game. Because, like, I know in general just numbers are staggering for any legit role in Hollywood. There's literally range from three to 5,000 people that submit per role. Right. So your odds of, like, getting even audition are really, really slim. So it's, it's a – the odds for any race are terrible. But obviously the roles that are available for people of color are even smaller, right? So – I don't know. I don't know how the numbers play out. So if there's less roles, but there are less actors or I don't know who's in the pool for running for that role. What are the actual odds for that as a woman of color? I don't actually know. But I I, I just I feel like, yeah, what, to what degree I'm, I'm annoyed with this. It's just like another eye roll for me. But I'll, I'm tough. curious, Elton, as somebody that's like in politics and completely removed out of that L.A., you know, entertainment scene. What was, like, so were you just scoff, oh, God, that's racist? Yeah, it really is a scoff and a shrug because, you know, this is very much, you know, in the showbiz scene, but even, you know, politically or even in community organizing, when we're talking about getting a seat at the table, it's it's very similar, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have, or even talking about, like, you know, things like education or health health equity and all these other issues, you have you have experiences of like, you know, success being defined so differently for different communities um, mm -hmm. and achieving different, being able to achieve different goals based on just who you are and what you look like. So it's, it's, it's very real. And I think it just so happens that when you're talking about show business, since they're in the business of, you know, bringing people on stage or on screen to look a certain way, it's so much more explicit in some ways mm -hmm. versus, you know, when you don't even have to say it. Um, on a, on a you know on a casting notice or anything like that, right? I don't know, man. 
I have such it's, mixed feelings. Like I don't. I want to just kind of stay like the the hippie in me wants to be ignorant to it and just be like, I'm not even gonna let this enter my universe because the struggle for me is it's. I, I don't know. I'm not looking at it as like it's as hard as it. It's hard as it already is. I just feel bad for you know. There are gonna be people who really do take that to heart and are gonna walk in being like extra. Extra, you're going to put in so much extra work to be extra pleasing. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the part that kills me because... Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like saying like, what will this, I don't know, probably white casting director and white casting folks want to see from me? And right. how can I better how can I cater appeal? to that? Yeah, exact cater. Great word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how can I Freddie Prince Jr. this shit up? Or like, how can... I don't know. I don't know why that was the first person that well, came I mean, to mind. Well, I mean, skin whitening... No, I mean, it, the, it's so funny, just hilarious the way they like try to tiptoe around saying that this character is a white character, right? This, historically, we have used performers whose facial features make them appear conventionally Caucasian. But here's the that thing, is, like, I'm not saying even like appearance wise <laughs> that you have to look a certain way, but it's like mannerisms too, right? Like there are subtle differences when um, like you go into K-Town and then you see like, and then you when you see hipsters and like everybody has their kind of their different vibe, right? So... To what degree people will alter themselves in order to fit a very specific image of what they perceive to be like, oh, well, this is what like a leading white guy character would be like, right? That they. Well, I mean, to be fair, isn't that part of the casting process is to play a character? Yeah, but also your casting should, I don't know. That's, this is the, that's the, it's a catch 22 saying that, oh, the leading guy is like this. And that's part of like the actor's life, no matter what no matter what race you are but also to, but then it's also shitty because you're saying that like okay then then someone like Aziz Ansari could never be the leading man and he's talked about that before cuz he's not part of that the the height the build obviously the skin color you know the name like he's not some 6 foot 2 white guy named Kyle or so ben. here's like here's the last thought and we're, we're going to take our break is like, I don't think they, they put this notice out thinking that, oh, we're going to be racist today. Um, I'm sure they're trying to, like, open it up. A better way to say this is just all ethnicities welcome to audition. And they don't have to, like, couch it in. But this is what we're looking for. Yeah, right? I think that's in the character. That's in the role. So you kind of know. You already know what this role traditionally is if you read the character at all. But if you say open all ethnicities, that at least signals that you're open to diversity and you're open to um, maybe t doing an unconventional casting choice. Right. Right. Rather than saying, this is typically this, so you have, you have to impress us in order to get this part. Right. Well, that's, that's the, yeah. I mean, that's the given. Like, your job as the actor is to walk in and impress the shit out of the casting director, period. Like, right. you're not going in there to disappoint them. So, so I don't yeah. see the necessity. So, <laughs> nice try, white casting directors. Um, maybe run this by some people next time before well we don't is, is that an <laughs> assumption that sorry fact check but i want to know are the casting directors white i get what they're described is like a white do you character. want us to fact check right now um no we don't have to but that's my question i i don't want to i don't want to walk in assuming that like it what would be interesting is if the casting directors were not white mm. but they were they were you know specifying that that'd be a, a funny and sad and unique interesting twist to all ironic of Exactly. Ironic. There you go. And on that note, uh, we're going to take a quick break and be back to talk more with Alton from API Vote.
Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the Collabcast. Um, the Collabcast, of course, is part of Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in arts and entertainment, discovering, elevating, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the API community. It's an exciting time for collaboration as we've started the countdown to the Collaboration Star Showcase, as well as the Collaboration Empower Creative Leadership Conference. The Empower Conference is taking place from Friday, November 11th to Saturday, November 12th, 2016. And the 2016 Collaboration Star Grand Finale Showcase is taking place that same weekend on the evening of Saturday, November 12, 2016. We'll be announcing our guest artists as well as speakers and keynotes in the coming weeks. To stay updated on the latest news, you can follow the events on the Collaboration Facebook page. We're also currently in the middle of a vote contest for our sixth wildcard slot. As you know, Collaboration Star is the finale showcase of the Collaboration season featuring six up-and-coming artists selected from Collaboration cities across the nation. Five of the finalists were selected by Collaboration's leadership team, and we're looking to you, the public, to help us decide who the sixth and final finalist will be. In the running is Jenna Lin, a singer-songwriter representing Collaboration Houston, and Captivated, a hip-hop artist representing Collaboration Atlanta. You can help us decide by going to the Collaboration Facebook page and clicking on the Collab Star Vote app on the sidebar and letting us know who you want to send to the Collaboration Star finale in Los Angeles. You can vote once per day and polls will close at noon on Sunday, September 11th. As we mentioned on the podcast, Collaboration also partnered with 18 Million Rising, Tractivist, Tuesday Night Project, and Misty Music to bring you Voices of Our Vote, an AAPI Vote album featuring 32 tracks from Asian American artists aimed at getting you empowered and ready for the vote coming up in November. You can check out all the tracks right now at the Bandcamp page at VoicesOfOurVote.org. Finally, the Collabcast is a proud family member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian American community. We're gearing up for our official launch in the very near future, so keep an eye out for more updates as they come along. But in the meantime, you can follow the collective on Twitter at Podcast Potluck. And that's it for this break. Thanks again for listening, and let's get back to the show. And we're back. Back. Welcome back to episode 84 of the Collabcast. I'm Marvin. Joining me is Minji and Alton Wang from APIA Vote. So we have a really big November coming up, if you guys have noticed. Kind of big. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> so API Vote's been doing some great work getting the Asian American community ready for set Novembers. So Alton, why don't you um, give us a brief summary of what API vote is and what the API vote does. Sure. I hope listeners would laugh at my pun earlier if anybody got it at all. Um, but API vote, we are a national nonpartisan organization focused on Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander uh, voter engagement, voter mobilization. Um, we are all across the country. We work with local community-based organizations to make sure that our communities are registered to vote, they're educated about what's on the ballot, and are prepared for this major election we have coming up on November 8th. I am terrified at the idea that there are only 62 left, uh, 60 days left until the election. So I am really trying to make sure that, you know, we are prepared, we are ready, and we will, you know, continue to uh, push forward running until we hit the finish line. Yeah, you are. First and foremost, my question for you is, Alton, where will you be going on November 9th? Um, I will be in my bed. I will be <laughs> fast asleep on November 9th. 
and <laughs> not worrying about life or work or anything. And how um, long will you be there? Um, as long as my boss doesn't notice, probably. <laughs> if you're seeing, you're listening to this, disregard what I just said. Um, but it, it's going to be a, a great ride, um, nevertheless, all the way up until November 8th and beyond. So we're, we're really excited here. Yeah, I know we have a lot. I'm just like, I'm dreaming for you just because I know you've been working countless, countless hours, follow you on Snapchat and Instagram and all the things. And you are everywhere. You're flying all over the country this year and just just spearheading so many different projects. So props to you because that's, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are so rewarding about community work and getting um, mobilization and working directly with people that make a difference. But it's also like, I'm sorry, but this is where I will point out the age thing. But like, you have the energy of a young person, and it gets so <laughs> exhausting. Still, you know, like it's yeah. it's just a lot. So, props yeah. to you. But you know that point about you know working with community. That's why I personally love collaboration so much, right? Because I think we share both of our organizations at the core this kind of commitment to the local grassroots and to people on the ground, the people that are looking for a voice, are trying to figure out how to express their voice, even though. You guys do it in a way that's, you know, different from ours. Ours is more political. Yours is more, you know, cultural. But I think that's that's really something that's really intertwined between our organizations. And I think that's so important because we really can't forget about, you know, the people we're representing or the people we are trying to push for when we're yeah. doing that. Right. Um, and I feel like sometimes some people might lose touch, um, whether you're a politician or you're a big superstar. It's easy to forget that how you got there was really because of the people who supported you. Right. Isn't that a little frustrating? I mean, like, real talk, it, it can be, I mean, th- and this is just, like, I want us to be able to have, like, a really frank conversation about that because not only, obviously, because this, this drives home the message of why it's so important, but things like, I, I don't know, I, I personally just have faced the fact that, like, leadership stuff that I've been into since I was in high school and, it, like, community work, I friggin appreciate and love the crap out of everybody who supports collaboration, API vote, all these nonprofits that like they do the work that elevate everybody else, in my opinion. Um, But like it's not particularly sexy, you know, like people don't they don't they're not jumping at the bit to get to get the latest issue of, you know, a newsletter on on social justice. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. It's, it's tough. I don't know. It's tough. How do you I mean, deal with that? It's just like, I love you because you get it. <laughs> I think, you know, making, I don't, you know, at the end of the day, it's almost like you have to convince people that sexy is not what, not, not what's important, even though mm-hmm. that's still what people chase after. Right. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes there is a sort of a realization, especially when you're in the middle of the hefty work that you're doing, that you're saying, hey, you know, the sexy stuff was great, but it's over now. What's still left is this hard work, this grassroots, this uplifting work that has been going on even before and even after the sexy stuff has ended. So yeah. I think that that's the most important part. Like, you know, our work endures um, versus a sexy campaign will die one day because it runs out of funding or whatever. Right. So I think it's so important that we, we try to keep forward with that because I think the fruits of the labor will, you know, manifest itself um, at some point. Sometimes it takes a long time, but 
I think it will definitely happen, which is partially what we're really pushing for this year is that we really want to make sure that our communities are not just prepared for this year's election, but we're prepared for elections to come, right? Because our our investment in this community and in this country does not end after November 8th. It continues on to 2017, 2018, 2020, 2040. Um, and we can't lose sight of that when we're doing this work, even if we feel like, oh, the stuff we're doing right now is difficult and not as sexy, but it will be at some point down the line. For sure. And actually, that's funny because Marvin is um, super well-versed in, in a lot of those areas that I'm not, and especially when it came to politics and, and voter registration. We have our own, you know, one-off conversations um, about the election this year in particular, and there's so much that I didn't know. And Marvin was just pointing out to me in a very, very kind way, you know, just like the importance of all of the non-presidential elections that people, including myself, have been really, really ignorant to or just not exactly. even like giving two craps about because that's a, like that's where so much policy change happens is on a local level or state level. And I just felt embarrassed because I went to the poll and I didn't like besides the presidential candidate, like I didn't know anything else that was going on. Like, full disclosure, yeah. I'm terrible. I I mean, small confession to make, when I voted in the primaries, I had some names that I saw on my ballot that I was a little bit confused as to who they were. Um, so it definitely happens to See, all. we all do it. I mean, I tried to do all the homework I possibly could have done, but it got to a point where I was voting for some judges and I was just like, I really don't know the difference between these two judges. Um, so I had to do more studying up um, when it comes to the upcoming general election. But yeah, no. Local elections are so important, right? And I think people forget how few votes local elections can be determined by. Like people always say to me, you know, oh, my vote, my vote doesn't count. It's not going to make a difference. You know, the president's still going to be X person. The, 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 my senator is still going to be this person. It's not going to change. I live in a blue state. I live in a red state. But then I say to them, you know, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, Congress will have the power to shape our foreign policy or maybe, you know, your taxes or, you know, maybe broad ranging education or immigration reform. But when you're talking about who's painting your sidewalks or who's, you know, doing your trash pickup, who's funding your school districts, that's all local, right? The things yeah. you experience every single day from the moment you wake up and you turn on your water faucet to the moment you turn off your lights at night, that's all local. And I feel like sometimes we forget that and we kind of neglect really paying attention to local elections. And it's so important that we do, especially when those can be determined by just a few dozen votes, right? I think, yeah. you know, one of my favorite examples, um, a favorite Asian American example even is Mayor Bao Win of Garden Grove, California. He won his mayoral election by 15 votes, Right. Damn. That's like your extended family. If your if your family didn't vote for you, you would have lost that election. And that's saying something when you're if you want the, the direction of that city to go one way or another, um, you know, 15 votes is all it takes for some places. So we have to really keep in mind that these local elections make a big difference. Yeah. So I wanted to bring this to um, the relationship between the arts and politics, because you know, that's kind of where we're kind of finding ourselves as collaboration is supporting all these you know, get out the vote um, initiatives through making an album or getting celebrity endorsements or making videos and things like that. And it's really interesting, not even arts and politics, but just the media and politics, right? I feel like, you know, the journalists 
like journalism exists initially to make sure that the public is well educated, not only on current events, but also current policies so that they're ready when they go to the ballot box that they know what they're voting for. Right. And that's especially in this election cycle where the headlines are just dominated by the, the presidential election and some of the crazy shit that's going on in that presidential election. I feel like the media hasn't really been doing its job as well as it should be. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. I think even we even like, you know, bridging that conversation from local elections, I remember reading something like the local local news media only pay attention to, you know, local um, government and local uh, 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 public office issues. You know, I think it was something like less than, you know, 10 percent of the time. And that's really shocking to me when, you know, those are the day-to-day issues that affect you, right? But I think even yeah. even more broadly beyond journalism, when, it, when you're talking about the arts and entertainment, that really is what shapes and frames the conversation that we have today about politics, right? I think sometimes the most progressive or or even more conservative, depending where you stand, um, ideas of where we are politically and socially comes from entertainment, comes from the arts. And that right. is, is what frames the conversation. If it's not for, um, you know, the representation of people of color in the uh, in the media or or even like, you know, for example, like queer characters that are on TV, the public perception of that and public support for, you know, different policies or different ideas changes a lot. Like to think that it was only just what, you know, eight, eight years ago or so that, you know, uh, marriage equality was shot down in California to now where that's not even a question anymore. Law of the land is marriage equality. And a lot of that, I really believe, had to do with the way uh, media and the arts have really kind of been changing that conversation. And whether it's like putting, you know, queer characters on screen to even not having discriminatory things said or done to queer characters on screen, right, has made a big difference. And I think politically, um, whether you're an actor, whether you're a musician, those platforms are so important to shape what America thinks. Even if it's even if your reach is a thousand people or your reach is a million people, you have the power to influence and shape what people think, which will in turn shape our politics. It might not happen overnight. It might not happen for November 8th, but it might happen a few years down the line, you know, or or 10 years down the line. Right. Where this conversation that we have now or this what, what I watch on TV now will shape what I think in the future or even, you know, for, for, you know, children, it will shape what they think in the future as well. So there's an immense power there. I think sometimes people forget as well. Absolutely. It's actually funny because um, somebody introduced me like, Alton, what you're saying, I think just the, the, this totally coincides with what everyone has been talking about with the power of TV right now, because TV, they've done all these statistical studies on how, there is no country on earth that consumes as much television and content as much as America does. Um, so the influence of it obviously is very, very strong, but also how TV in, in general has made this huge comeback where, you know, it used to be all about film and now these episodics where there's a lot more character development, um, that there are other platforms outside of the original traditional studio structure, um, like Netflix and Amazon creating shows like Orange is the New Black or like Transparent, those are those are literally just changing these norms and these paradigms that we've had for like, you know, basically all of life up until now. And that within a short amount of time that these really entertaining and, um, you know, exciting and moving pieces of, of 
TV and film are really changing and opening the minds of a lot of people that might not have been otherwise. Um, so that's what I appreciate that. But funnily, a friend of mine was telling me about this one artist who came up during the VMAs and his name's Troy Sivan. And I'm, this is where like, it's a sign that I'm getting old. I was like, I don't know who the hell that is, but my friend sent me on and I really love this kid's music. And he, I think he is a kid. He's like not even 20, but, um, he's pretty big on YouTube and his, I mean, his viewership is just, you know, way up there in the millions and millions and millions, but his music videos are about being gay about, um, and in three minutes, I was crying, you guys. This wasn't even like a full-fledged feature film. <laughs> but it's just like, and I was like, that also touched me because I was like, this is what his fans and all the, like all the millions, like you're looking at, it's like 153 million views. Like how many minds or hearts that's changing right. in, in right. a three or, four mu- three or four minute music video. It was right. really mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was crying watching Star Trek Beyond. Like this is, my friends <laughs> thought I was crying. Crazy, but the moment John Cho ran up to his, you know, the, the hus- his husband, in, in, Sulu's husband in um, the movie, and there was like only like five seconds, or even maybe even less than five seconds, where that happened, I was uh-huh. in tears because I had oh. in my life never seen that happen on the big screen with Asian characters, right? I, that is something I need to watch that, that. I'm going to be a oh my god. I mean. Yeah, I was I, I was beyond myself, and that's all I remember from the movie. I mean, it was a great movie, but <laughs> the plot line right now is a little bit fuzzy in my mind. But the few seconds that I remember, and I know that you know, for example, younger queer Asian Americans might remember as well, is those few seconds, right? Because it's something you don't see very often, and it's very subtle. It's not even it's not you know um a, you know applauded in the movie in any way. It's not really focused on in any way. It just is part of the film. It is normal. It is the it is what you should expect. It's presented in that way. And that's so important, right? Mm-hmm. That those kind of, you know, characters and those kind of uh, conversations are happening and they're, they're jumping off of the, those kind of films. And these are films that you wouldn't think are making a political statement, but they are doing it subtly. So I think that, that's, that, that has immense power to shape our politics in, in this country today. Whether or not people like it or dislike it, 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 it is powerful. And I think it has been shaping the narrative, looking at, you know, what, what, what is you know progressive in the 90s has probably seemed like really normal today like the show friends one of my favorite tv shows people always <laughs> criticize it now oh don't you think it's uncomfortable that it's all white characters don't you think it was xyz i'm like yeah but you know it was the 90s having you know a lesbian couple on on screen in 1994 1995 was huge yeah. and i think that did have a role in shaping the way we think about um, queer people today, or you know, you know, anything like that has made has made a tremendous difference um, in, in our politics. Um, so I think you know people cannot discount you know when you're working in the arts, when you're creating content, when you're producing things. Um, there is power there beyond just entertaining people, beyond just making people um, happy. It, it's really also about how we think of who we are as Americans and what we think as citizens and how we're going to vote, you know, in the future. Right. I love how they're, they're retro criticizing something that was made and it's a done deal. It's like, let's go back and, and criticize, you know, I love Lucy about all that. Like you could, exactly. but like, what's the, I don't know. To be fair, that criticism of friends happened while they were on the air too. Okay. It did. It did. Oh, yeah. I know. I didn't because even know they that. took place in New York. Yeah, oh. it's New York, like the city of white people, right? No yeah. black people at all in, in that show, um, and it's fair criticism. But I just think that you know there are moments that um, different 
things have to play, different roles that different things have to play. And for example, there, 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 there was some movement there, right? So, yeah, I love. I oh my god, I could. Um, now I'm just like thinking about my Labor Day barbecue and how I wish I could have taken a photo, because it was such a lovely like United Colors of Benetton ad. Like we had Brazilians and we had Asians and we had Black people and we had people like native from New York, people from China. It was like. <laughs> It was amazing. But that's, okay, here's my thing, that the, the, and this kind of touches upon what Marvin was saying about theater, because in reality, when you write a play, you could really bring it to production and, and bring it to life faster than, than you might be able to, say, a film. Um, and it, this ultimately goes to a question to you, Alton, but one of the things that I was, like, really wishing would be made um, for not only like the public's education, but for my own, was a movie about the LA riots with the the K Town riots, because I had I'm from the Bay. I didn't know all the details. I grew up. This happened when I was really young, and so I'd always peripherally heard about it. Um, and then I finally watched a documentary about it this year that really brought in the scope of like understanding what really happened, what was the root cause of it, and all all of that. And I just felt like this is this is like our version of like Fruitvale Station, like someone needs to make this, get Ryan Coogler on the phone. Who's our agent Ryan Coogler that can make this? Yeah. And, and, and really powerfully share that, that narrative of like age, the Korean immigrants and all of the, the small businesses that they own getting burned to the ground, you know, the, the violence, like all of it, right? Yeah. So Mike, and then also that, that, and by the way, it's being made right now. I found out it's, a, it's incredible. Um, Justin Chan is making that movie called Gook. And I'm so ridiculously excited for it. And I think it's going to be great. Um, but it, like touching upon that and how it can, how it can expand our understanding of the importance of, of policies or the things that like impact us. So Alton, I want to know what, what would you say would be the top most relevant touch points for Asian Americans to like, what would your your argument be saying like this is why you should care these are the things that really do impact us because i think that's a question for some people who may not think that it really matters whether they vote or not um is it immigration is it what what are your thoughts because i I genuinely want to be educated i mean i think you know one major thing um and you know actually before i even get into that i want to bring up there is there is this great um play that was that was done in 1994, actually, right after the LA riots, mm-hmm. um, by Anna Devere Smith, and um, there, it's in book form now. Um, it's called Twilight, Los Angeles, 1992, and it's incredible. It's a one-woman play, and she did a mono, She did monologues of transcripts from all different perspectives um, during the the riots, whether it's a Korean American um, grocery store owner to to you know um, you know a black protester to um, the uh, the pol- the police and things like that. So that nice. is I totally encourage reading that. It is really moving and kind of provides a, a perspective on history that you don't really get normally. Um, but anyways, you know issues that affect Asian America. I think one thing people always think is that, oh, Asian Americans care about these specific Asian American related issues. And Mm -hmm. one thing I always have to push back and say is that's not true. Asian Americans are Americans. We are U.S. citizens. We are living, working in this country. We care about things that general people, general citizens care about. 
We care about jobs and economy. We care about education. We care about social security. We care about about what, about what Americans care about, right? So I right. think there is no such thing as Asian American issues. I think there are probably issues that um, more require uh, you know more attention in our community sometimes. Um, but I don't think there's such thing as an Asian American issue, um, because our issues are America's issues, and America's issues are our issues. I think that's Word. really important um, for us to remember. But I think you know some things that are really critical that really hinge on you know elections like these is immigration. You're right, immigration is a huge issue for our communities. When a lot of the um, immigration visa backlog right now is impacting uh, people coming in from Asia. Right. The, the, the greatest number of immigrants nowadays is coming in from China and India, surpassing Mexico already. Um, I think another huge issue is racial profiling. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Muslim, Sikh, South Asian um, Americans are facing a sort of racial tension that is even more heightened today um, that we really want to combat. And that's important when it comes to voting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's another slew of issues, healthcare, um, educational opportunity, um, the rights of Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders. I think there's a ton of different issues that really impact our communities that we are bringing to the polls when we vote, that, that we are voting and uh, making us taking a stand on issues like that, um, you know, come November 8th. So I think whatever your issue is, if you're Asian American, that's an ama- that's the Asian American issue. Right. As long as it is something you care about, that is what you should be voting on. Um, And there's no such thing as an issue that's too little or too big, um, especially when it comes to such a critical election that will really shape, I think, the next, you know, few decades of our country's path. I've just been schooled by Altoing and I am so happy. (laughs) Cool. Well, on that note, we're going to call this podcast. Uh, thanks again to our guest, Alton, for joining us. Um, you can find more about API Vote at APIVote.org. Um, Alton, if people want to follow you and your thoughts, where can they go? Um, my lovely Twitter handle is at Alton Wang. I love talking, talking and debating and discussing all these sort of issues on Twitter. So if you have any questions, ping me a tweet. Yeah. Um, real quick, though, before we, we sign off, I'm so glad, Alton, thank you so much for joining in. And one of the projects that I want to highlight real quick, because this uh, we mentioned it really quickly earlier, but it is the Voices of Our Vote album that's out now. Um, and that was in conjunction with API Vote support, um, 18 Million Rising, who helped spearhead the whole project with Richie Tractivist with Tuesday Night Project in L.A. Um, we got 32 tracks from Asian American uh singers and musicians who contributed tracks to make this album and I just I love it so much and it's really dope and so I hope you guys will check that out because this is a very this is I think a really um symbol symbolic um album and gesture from the community saying we really do care about getting our voices heard and exactly what Alton's saying there's no API issue it's all of our issues so we all have a stake in this. So please go to www.voicesofourvote.org and you guys can download the album there. Awesome. All right, I'm going to go through my ending spiel now. But if you want to send the Collabcast an email with feedback, questions, or topic suggestions, um, you can email us always at podcast at collaboration.org. And you can, also, you can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and wherever you find podcasts on through our RSS feed. Uh, if you do subscribe to us via iTunes, please leave us a nice review and rating when you get the chance. Um, it helps us out with the metrics and also makes us feel good that people are listening and engaging. 
We Ladies love you. Out there listening. Hello. Thanks again to G. Yamazawa for use of his song Right Out for this month's intro and outro. You can find the rest of that EP, Yamazawa, on SoundCloud. Uh, and yeah, that'll do it for episode 84 of the Clubcast uh, for Marvin, Minji, and Alton. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Bye, y'all. Gotta forget where I just left to make room for the next city I fly towards. Ride with me. And I miss down south And I miss my crew And I miss dead homies And I miss her too Blink once and it's all gone Nobody to fall on whenever you fall off The throne that you bought from The devil the dark side and blame on the art form But what if the art dies? What if the art dies?